As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, it's Erin and Heather here. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain why. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. And you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome to That Would Go Good with Vodka. I'm Erin. I am Heather. Heather, she's still stuck in the well. (laughs) Yeah, um, nobody's come to find me yet. I am still here. Oh, man. We'll find you. We know it's going to be at least another, what, 30 days now? <laughs> yeah. You know what? I'm good with that. I'm yeah. good. Yeah. I'm, I'm calling like June or July, so we might as well just get used to Heather being in the well. Yeah, that's okay. I will be, but I will be well in the well. That's right. So You will stay healthy. I can stay in the well. Um, yes. Um, so, yeah. So what have you been up to in, uh, like the, since we've talked last in the little quarantine Oh my goodness, just working, working and um, cleaning like a freaking mad woman. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, cleaning everything. It is spring, right? Spring yeah. cleaning. Yeah. Although yeah. we have snow on the ground right now, but. Um. <laughs> we just had a thundering snowstorm, so I'm pretty sure it is the end of the world. <laughs> it kind of feels like it right now, but yeah. I feel fine. I feel fine too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's about it. That is about it. Um, yeah, I haven't done much. Yesterday was beautiful. On my way home from work, my car said it was like 72 degrees. So I was like, oh my gosh, I can't wait to get home and just get outside. So I took my little table, and you guys might have seen it. I posted it on our Facebook page. Took my little table and my chair, and I sat it out by the lake and had the fire on one side got to do you know some homework by the lake and it was just so nice and then it started to sprinkle (laughs) I was like dang it but there was this beautiful rainbow that came over the lake it was really cool yeah Um, I know I was seeing everybody's posts of rainbows yesterday I kind of missed the rainbow I knew there was one but it was super cloudy still and I'm like I just couldn't see it but yeah yeah I'll send you the picture. It looked super bright over the lake. I was like, that is like the brightest rainbow I've ever seen. It was really cool. Um, 
So we talked a little bit about, um, let's talk about like a positive thought. Do you have any positive thoughts during this time that we're in? Um, not really. We're <laughs> <laughs> over that. I'm over it. a week, guys. <laughs> oh, yes, I actually do. I think positive thinking will let you do everything better than negative thinking will. So I think it's just really important just for everybody just to keep their heads clear and calm and, you know, um, do whatever, whatever makes you feel like you have some peace. You know, if that's praying, if it's meditating, if it's going for a walk, if it's talking to family, whatever it is, just bring the good in, bring the good in and push, breathe the bad out, exhale the bad. That's my positive thought because all right. we all need to just kind of, you know, stay focused and, and know that we're going to get through this. So that's my positive thought. It can be hard to find some inner peace in, in such a crazy, you know, in such a crazy time. But, you know, I think if everybody shuts their eyes and just, you know, starts start thinking in a different way, that it is possible. It yeah. truly is possible to get on a different, a different path. Um, so I was on Facebook today scrolling around while I was working super hard <laughs> and um, I had seen the cutest things and then I started looking around and you know what's neat all these little kids you know are missing out on these little birthday parties and stuff you know there's no pizza parties there's no whatever um, stuff and yeah they don't get to have all of that you know not that little family gatherings aren't you know they're not terrible but kids are kind of used to these, you know, parties with their friends, but I've seen a lot of communities coming out and, you know, like driving the fire trucks by the houses and, you know, hitting their horns and their sirens and waving and screaming happy birthday to these little kids and they're just so excited. Yeah. And it's not something that, you know, you would think that, you know, the kid would like for their birthday, but I feel like some of them are going to look back and be like, well, you know what? In the year of the toilet paper craze, the pandemic, I had, you know, the coolest birthday. The, the town came out and drove by the house. And I just think it's neat to see communities try to help each other. Um, in these time. It's kind of neat, you know? It definitely is a way to make it unique. And, um, you know, I, I love the fact that everyone's putting their heads together and being like, you know, how can we make this especially for, for the children and the even even like our boys that are seniors, you know. Um, there's a lot of talk about doing like a parade where everyone gets in their cars and, you know, all of the seniors drive through town and the principal hands them a diploma at the end of the parade. So, I mean, there's a lot of people putting their heads together to try to just, um, you know, I mean, shit, it's not normal situations, you know. So let's just let's just make the best of it, honestly, you know. And that's the thing, it's not a normal situation, so we have to kind of think about it abnormally. Let's, you know, there, there are ways to get around some of these things. We just have to, like you said, use our positivity, think a little bit differently, think outside the box. There are ways to still bring cheer to each other. And, um, yeah. You bring cheer to me. <laughs> oh, you bring cheer to me too. I've been looking forward to this since last week. I'm like, when do I get to talk to my friend? I know, I know. Well, you know what? Let's uh, get a drink and uh, come back with a with a story for these people that are still listening. 
Yes, and thank you for still listening. I think you know a lot of podcasts and stuff has said their listenership is down a little bit, which I understand. You're not commuting to work and stuff, but right. for those of you who are you know still listening or whatever, we we really do appreciate it. And yeah, we thanks. High fives to all of you, and we'll be back. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hi, I'm your glorious host, JC, from Mission Spooky. And this is Kiki, the one who does all the work. Join us every Tuesday for spooky subjects, mostly in Pennsylvania and other parts of Pennsylvania. Like Far East Pennsylvania. And Far, Far East Pennsylvania. And sometimes we talk about magic and other paranormal subjects. You can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and where all great podcasts can be heard. Remember, stay spooky and don't die. But if you do, contact us. Okay, so I do have an article for you, but this one like, is not, it's not very funny because guess what? Because nobody's funny right now. No, everybody's just like hiding in their houses. Nobody's doing anything stupid. So there's nothing to report on. (laughs) I guess that's okay. That's all right. (laughs) I'm like, I guess, you know, I mean, guess it just works itself out. So this is from um, news.sky. And this is an article. Man whose headaches made him vomit had a tapeworm in his brain for 10 years. Years. Oh. Yes. Doctors think that the tapeworm had been growing slowly ever since the man contracted it from eating undercooked pork in Mexico. A man whose headaches were so painful they made him vomit has finally found the source of his health problems. A tapeworm had been lodged in his brain for 10 years. Doctors in Texas think that the tapeworm had been growing slowly ever since the man named only as Gerardo, that's what we'll call him, Gerardo, (laughs) contracted it from eating undercooked pork in Mexico more than a decade ago. Describing, yeah, like 10 years ago. Gerardo said he had been having headaches and feeling off for months before he had an MRI scan after fainting while playing football last year. Describing the pain of his headaches, he told NBC affiliate affiliate KXAN-TV, It's very intense, very strong, because it made me sweat, too. Sweat from the pain, pain in the head, and then I would vomit from the pain. Ugh. 
Dr. Jordan Amadio, a neurosurgeon at Ascension Seton in Austin, said the case was rare and truly extraordinary. In certain regions of the country, like Texas and California, this can be more common, he was reported saying. So there's definitely something, I think, for every medical professional to be aware of. Um, yeah, so... There you go. So now, not only do you have to worry about Rona, you have to worry about if you have a tapeworm eating your brain. Well, I mean, I don't eat pork, so, and I, well, I've never been to Mexico. You wouldn't know that, but. (laughs) 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 But I don't eat pork, so I'm good. Uh, Yeah, Um, I do eat some pork, but yeah, no, hopefully no tapeworms in the brain. Ugh. No, not in the brain, but I could probably use one in my stomach. I was going to say, <laughs> I was, like, when I was younger, I remember thinking, man, you know, a tapeworm wouldn't be too bad for, like, a couple months. Just for a couple months. I don't want it forever. I just, you know, I need to take off a few pounds. <laughs> right. Right. Hello. So, uh, that's where, I mean, for 10 years, though, you didn't notice anything. No. Like, growing in the, I mean, Ugh. I mean, he was probably just having like random headaches, like the rest of us get, and was probably just like, "I got a headache," you know, and oh. chalked it off to whatever, you know, allergies or you know, hangovers. Who knows? But no, <laughs> it was a tapeworm, Gerardo. You had a tapeworm. Oh, that's terrible. Okay, that's pretty gross, and you know, I kind of can't wait until this is over so we can start talking about like pigeons with hats. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I I know it. Um, So we have a a sad story today. I mean, most of our stories are not happy. I mean, that's not generally what we what we do. Right. But I don't know. This one this one kind of struck me kind of hard because I think because we both have boys around this age and it's just it was hard. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, So and and it's it's pretty local, too. Yeah. I mean, it's not right next door, but it's definitely close. So um, we are going to tell you um, the story of Eric Sterling Cross. Um, So, you know, switching the schools is never easy, but Ted and Mary Lou packed up and moved their family, um, that included Eric and Jackie, to Vicksburg, Michigan from Grand Lake. Um, it was a necessary move for Ted's career. Um, they made the approximately 145-mile move um, with the hopes for a wonderful life in a small, quiet community. And that is exactly what Vicksburg is. It's small. Um, you can say in 2017, there was a population of 3,370. So um, back in, you know, 1980s when they moved, it was smaller. Um it was quiet. It was an agricultural town. It was a great school system. Um, and so this tight-knit family had everything to look forward to. Um, it can be a little difficult making friends, you know, when you move to a new school. It's not always easy, and especially in these small towns where everybody is already, you know, everybody knows everybody. Yeah, they're all kind of, uh-huh. you know, their cliques are established and all of that kind of stuff. They've all gone to school together since preschool, and it's kind of hard to just slide in and fit right in. You know. Right. I believe Eric was coming in as a sophomore. So, yeah, uh, cliques have been formed, friendships have been made. Um, so it's not always easy. And it makes it, I think, a little bit harder when you're coming in, in like, high school. Um, For sure. So 
Yeah, he was he was a little quiet. Um, he was, but he was a social young man. He he liked the outdoors. Him and Jackie had a lot of memories. You know, Jackie had a lot of memories of them hanging out outside and um, enjoying the outdoors. Um, he was pleasant to be around, and you know, by all accounts, he was a really good kid. Um, you know, his father had talked a little bit about you know when he was sixteen and kind of moved and stuff. He was a little worried about him hanging out with a little bit of a bad crowd. Um, but you know, at sixteen, I feel like I think that's, we're all kind of worried about our kids hanging out with the bad crowds, you know. Yeah. Or, you know, getting the wrong, you know, bad influences and things like that. And, like, I used to tell my mom, Mom, I am the bad influence. (laughs) I am the problem. Thank you. But, yeah. um, But he did. He had made a new, um, like, best friend. Um, There was a kid by the name of Bill Cook, and they were their best friends. Um, And there were a few stories told about Eric being kind of on the receiving end of the town bully's wrath. Um, Brenton, or Brent Tyler Spaulding, um, was his name. Um, It was said that Brent had been, had shoved Eric into a pop machine. Um, At one time, he had to be pulled off from Eric in a hallway brawl. Um, Usually, Brent's actions were fueled by jealousy. Eric had had a class with Brent's girlfriend, Amber Thomas, and they had walked out of this class one afternoon and, you know, just chit-chatting, kind of, you know, how you you walk out and you're chit-chatting about, you know, what stupid thing your teacher said or what, you know, who picked their nose in class, just chit-chatting, you know. Um... And they had walked out of this class together just doing that. Um, and Brent definitely did not like that a bit. So I think a lot of his uh, anger towards uh, Eric was out of jealousy because Eric yeah. was a good right. man, too. Yeah. Um, but not to be deterred, though, Eric was still friendly and looking to make friends. Um, his sophomore year comes to a close. Um, they're... Are some, there is summer socializing to be done. Um, there are graduation parties, pool parties, small gatherings to attend. And Eric, it was a perfect way for Eric to meet some new people and maybe make some new friends. So on Saturday, June 25th, 1983, Eric was in his bedroom fixing his hair in the mirror. He had one of those super sweet 80s hairstyles going on. Um, listening to music on the radio and his sister Jackie actually remembered the song very vividly that he was listening to. And it was the look of love. Remember that song? I do. Yeah. The look of love. Yeah. That one. Um, (laughs) Unbeknownst to his parents, Eric was getting ready to go to a kegger at a lake house, just about a mile up the road from his home. This was like a graduation party. You got to remember it's June, you know, so there was going to be a lot of people here. There was many people coming from out of state, family visiting, um, people coming from other, you know, areas. You know, you think about it. We know people from all over the place. They're the ones that are going to be coming to this graduation party. Right. The party was also a, get this shit, you're going to love it, a $2 admission charge for all the beer that you could drink. Oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah. As you can imagine. I wonder what that would be now. Gosh, I don't know. We didn't do the inflation on that. But, I mean, $2 admission charge, all the beer you can drink. You're going to have a lot of people there. I think that this party was said to have, like, what did we say, over about 300 people? That's what I had read, too, which is, you know, 
That's a pretty outrageous party. It's hard to keep track of. You remember we had a party here at one point, um, and we had quite a few people, and we had this hayride pull up, and all of these younger people started getting off, and we had a keg here. So Heather and I actually had to go and stand in front of the keg for a good hour until they all loaded back up on their um, wagon ride and left. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yep, we were like, you are not getting us, you are too young, yep. bye-bye. We are not providing you guys with alcohol, sorry, gotta go. <laughs> um, so Eric and his best friend, Bill, were hanging out together most of the night, they were having fun, but at one point, Bill wanted to go swimming with this chick in the pool. So he told Eric he'd be right back, and he left Eric sitting in a lawn chair. When Bill went back to where he had left Eric... Eric wasn't there. Eric was seen by many witnesses that evening, extremely intoxicated. Apparently, he had been drinking for a lot of hours at this party. Witnesses also confirmed that he left the party around 1 a.m. It was dark, he was drunk, and he was all alone. Um, Exactly what happened after that is still not truly known, except for maybe a few select people that are keeping their dirty secrets after 37 years. What we do know is that at some point during the party, there was an altercation with Brent Spaulding, which resulted in Brent shoving Eric. It didn't turn out to be too much at the time, but it's definitely worth mentioning. Word on the street was that Eric was flirting with Brent's girlfriend, Amber Thomas. Um, But that was the last time anybody had seen Eric. He left the party. He was seen at one point kind of stumbling down the road. You have to remember we talked about this party only being like a mile from his home. Um, There were some other things that were mentioned. We'll get into that stuff later. But he was seen by several people kind of staggering down the road. Just, you know, got to get from one place to another. You've been drinking. It's time to go. On Sunday, June 26th, Dad hears a noise at the front door. And it sounded like it would, like, say, if Eric were trying to get into the house. He just figured that Eric was home, and he fell back asleep. A few hours later, around 5 a.m., his dad was woken up again to another disturbance. Only this time, it was a a loud car with a loud muffler that had come flying into the driveway, turned around, went up and down the road a few times, and then sped off. He still didn't think a whole lot about this at this point. Um, You know, it's getting warm out, close to graduation. Things are a little more active at that point. Kids are kind of out driving around, you know, partying. Back back in the 80s, it wasn't a big deal. They might have stopped you and dumped your beer out. But, yeah, I think people are more used to that. Right, and I'm almost wondering if that point in the 80s, and I didn't look this up, but I know that in the 80s, the legal drinking age was 18 um, for a short stint, and I'm not sure if that would have fallen in this time or not. But nevertheless... Uh, kids are going to be out, you know, like we said, weather's getting warmer, graduation's coming, it's Saturday night, hearing a car drive up and down your street at 5 o'clock in the morning isn't going to set off any red flags or alarms. Right. He um, was wide awake, decided that he couldn't get back to sleep, and so he was just going to start his Sunday morning. Part of a Sunday morning ritual was walking down the end of the driveway to get the newspaper. 
But when Eric's dad walked down the driveway, he saw something in the middle of the road that caught his attention. He saw a shoe. And when he went to take a closer look, he realized that he recognized that shoe. It was Eric's shoe. He began to look around, probably thinking, what the hell? You know, why is Eric's shoe in the middle of the road? I know I heard him come home in the middle of the night. But when he looked up the road a little ways, there was something else on the side of the road. And it was his son, Eric, lying in the road, dead. He was not, he was no longer alive. His dad went into complete shock. He started screaming. He was crying, just completely torn apart. I cannot even imagine what these poor parents went through. Um, he started calling for his wife, Mary Lou. And when she came out of the house, she saw, of course, the same thing that her husband was seeing. Um, probably the worst thing a mother could ever imagine. Her I, six, yeah, I can't even. Yeah, I can't either. Yeah. Um, his body was not in good condition at all. And she went into shock. She frantically ran back into the house and she grabbed a blanket to cover him up with. And she called a neighbor that worked at a local hospital to come over and give her son CPR. The neighbor tried, but it was no use. Eric was gone. Yeah, um, I think at that point it was almost just a, um, uh, I think that neighbor knew that it wasn't, you know, it wasn't going to help, but I think that he just really wanted to give her at least that, I don't know, just a try. You have to kind of, I, I don't even want to put myself in that mindset, but you have to kind of imagine that when all of this is going on, like you said, I mean, you want to think that you tried everything. Yeah. You know, and obviously, at least, yeah. So he was gone. And his sister Jackie remembered um, waking up. Her dad was kind of calm. He said there's been an accident. Um, but when she saw her mom's face, she knew immediately that her brother was dead. She just knew. And her gut, that, you know, she said, you just don't see a face like that unless something absolutely the worst possible case scenario has just occurred. Yeah. Evidence. Think, go ahead. I'm sorry. I think, oh, I, was say, I think I, in one of the interviews and in, in one of the videos, which we have um, a few that we'll definitely post. Um, I think she said that was like one of the first times she's seen her father cry. Yeah. Like it wasn't like a hysterical cry. It was her state, you know, I don't know. And that's kind of, that's hard to see. I, yeah. Oh, of course. Seeing your dad cry is like the worst thing in the world. Or, you know, just, some, you know, he seemed like he was a very stoic kind of man. Um, yeah. You know, and then, I mean, and you just kind of know that your whole world at that very moment has just been changed. Yeah. Evidence of Eric's death was strewn for hundreds of yards along the road. There was plastic from a car. There were shoes. There were clothes. There was a wallet. Uh, there was blue jean material, blood, and what was later on um, determined to be body tissue. And um, when we're, police were on the scene, their initial thought was that Eric had died due to a hit and run. But Eric's family was absolutely not convinced that that happened at all. And they pressured the police to keep digging. So Eric's family, um, yeah, like Aaron had just said, uh, 
not convinced um, necessarily this was just a hit and run and they kind of pressured police to keep digging um, Eric Eric's body was badly injured um, and upon look at the autopsy investigators had learned that Eric had contusions um, deep abrasions he had rope burns um, the rope burns were visible on his arms um, his wrists, uh, there were twists and uh, starations on his skin, his legs were fractured, um, he had a large gaping laceration on his lower back, um, and then with this evidence, investigators came to the conclusion that Eric had more than likely been dragged behind a vehicle, um, then, run, then run over to conceal what had actually happened. Um, there was a question at one point about a possible hood surfing accident. Right. Um, they had said that, that was, hood, hood surfing was, you know, kind of a thing back in the 80s um, and maybe even into the early 90s where, uh, you know, someone would stand on top of a hood and pretend to, to be surfing while the car was driving down the road. Yeah, there there are stories of, like, uh, being tied to the hood and, go, you know, being driven down the road on top of the hood um that that was a possibility at one point but i i believe after these autopsy um records were looked at it looked more of a he was dragged behind a vehicle um there were a couple of others a couple of other witnesses or witness accounts um that i kind of want to touch on um you had talked about Ted, uh, Eric's father, who had um, heard Eric at the door and then heard the car. Um, and then the party goers had also seen him kind of ping-ponging off the cars and, like, stumbling home. Um, there were also witnesses that had stated that they had seen two cars. There was a dark, like, medium-sized car and a yellow car parked at Mon Paws, which is, like, a small little gas station store. Um and it was pretty much a stone's throw away from Eric's home. It was not far. Um, so it was definitely something, you know, he had to walk past uh, this little gas station. Um, in a Click on Detroit article, and it was published July 26, 2017, it says that witnesses told police they saw Eric near the gas station that night, and he was talking to the occupants of two different vehicles. Um, that was just one I only read that once. Um, not quite sure. I actually did read that too. That he was that having a conversation. That someone had seen him having a conversation in the gas station parking lot um, while there were two vehicles there. I mean, so okay. which car he was talking to, you know, or what was actually happening, I don't know. But that was around one thirty in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then also a neighbor um, of the Crosses had um, come forward and had actually told police that he had heard something a little strange that early morning as well. Um, I believe he had actually come outside and he had seen um, this car with three occupants, definitely three, but possibly could be more. I believe there were two, two guys with a girl possibly in the middle. And what he had heard was a girl screaming, oh, my God, he saw us. So, um, yeah, I think that is all I really have for witnesses. And then the autopsy definitely 
um, kind of showed he was direct. So he's got the time where he was shaking the, the, the doorknob at like one o'clock to, to, to come into the home until about five o'clock um, in the morning. And what had happened there um, was that he was brutally murdered and possibly dragged behind um, a vehicle, um, possibly brutally beaten, then dragged and, um, and then run over to cover it up. Yeah, because the autopsy did show blunt force trauma too. And so yeah. when they were, when the investigators were, you know, were investigating this crime, they were looking at this and the, and the, you know, autopsy report and all of that stuff, they were looking at that going, there's, there's no way that this was just a hit and run. This was definitely something way more than a hit and run. Um, yeah. Just because of the condition of his body. So, right. Yeah. So since the police officers um, and the investigators at this point had pretty much concluded that this was not a hit and run, that this was darker than that, um, you know, the rumor mill started spinning a little bit. Kids go to school, they talk, they run their mouths. Um, and there was a core group of young people that through these rumors and their own admissions were, um, and everyone kind of knew that they were together late in the night of June 25th, 26th and the early morning hours. Um, I'm just going to list some of their names off. Brenton Spaulding was one of them. Amber Thomas was one of them. Tim Martin, who was a brother of a friend and Bill Cook, who was, we talked well, about Bill before. He was Eric's, yeah, that best, was Eric's friend. best friend, right? Right, right. Okay. So um, the interesting thing about Bill Cook, and we didn't really get into this earlier, was that Bill Cook was dating Brent Spaulding's sister. Right, okay. But Bill Cook at this party, remember he had left Eric sitting in a chair and said he was going to go swimming with this girl in the pool? Right. That girl was not... Brent Spaulding's sister. So it was not Bill Cook's girlfriend that he was going swimming with. So Bill Cook might have been, you know, I mean, they're teenage boys. You know, how much how much faithfulness is there? I mean, you know, I don't want to say that about all of them, but, you know. All of them, but they tend to sow their oats a little bit, so. A little bit. So, yeah. um, so there was this, this, this kind of theory that um, Brent had threatened Bill and said, you know, I want you to, you to, um, kind of get Eric to trust me. So like the whole cars at the gas station thing, there was a theory that Bill Cook was actually in that car and that he had, um, that Brent had threatened Bill and said, Hey, you know, I saw you swimming with that chick at the party and it wasn't my sister motherfucker. So yeah. I'm going to tell my sister that you were swimming with another chick at a party. If you don't help me get Eric into this vehicle. That was a whole rumor. Or, right, and that, that would explain why Eric would go up to the car, because if Bill, his best friend, was in the car... Then he would then trust he would be, Right, he would be a little bit more trusting, I would think. I mean, I know he was inebriated that night, so that it, it is hard to tell, but I still think um, it would take Bill being in that car to to get him to go up to it and talk. You Most know? likely, because him and, him and Brent, let's just face it, they weren't, they weren't friends. So right. if he were going to go up and talk to anybody in that car, might have been Bill that he had trusted enough to do that. 
Um, so there is also another witness came forward a little bit later on who was the neighbor of Brent Spaulding and Brent Spaulding Sr. We haven't mentioned him yet. He's obviously Brent Spaulding's dad. Um, the neighbor had reported that he saw a bunch of young teenagers pull up at the Spaulding home early in the morning hours, whether it was, you know, two o'clock, three o'clock, somewhere in there, four o'clock. They know that when all of this went down, it was between one thirty in the morning and five in the morning, because that's right. when, um, Eric Cross's father heard the car going up and down the street. Uh -huh. Um, the neighbor had said he watched all of these teenagers kind of running around the house frantically at the Spalding home, um, going from just acting bizarre, going from the car to the house, the hard house to the car, getting stuff out of the trunk, um, just really acting very bizarre in retrospect. Very bad behavior, right? Yes, yes. So that was mentioned. Um, it's also believed that Brent Spalding Sr. had something to do with this with this cover-up um because what they're calling this now is like a code of silence where you've got 37 years have passed and uh -huh. no one has come forward uh we know that many people said that brent kind of uh, around the time after eric's death it was witnessed that he um had started acting very big very strange. One witness said that he started calling himself the devil and going by the name Lucifer. Um, shortly after Eric Cross's death, Brent Spaulding was actually sent to a mental institution. And um, the question was, was he pretending to be insane or was he attempting, um, you know, was he attempting to set himself up for a mentally incompetent defense? Or was he actually, you know, feeling so guilty that he was going a little bit nutty? Right. I think, and this was after um, a witness had come forward um, and said, just flat out said, um, Brent came to me and told me his role in, you know, in Eric's death. A witness had gone to police and had said, this is, you know, this is what he had said. I mean, they didn't have a lot of evidence at that point. And then all of a sudden, Brent loses his mind and has to go to the psychiatric hospital. Right. So it, to me, it's almost like, a, yeah, you did that because you're, if, you know, if they find evidence on you, you're going to want to have, you're going to want to plead insane. Right. <laughs> you know, insanity, you know. The also, the so, strange thing was, is that Brent's car mysteriously disappeared. Couldn't find the car anywhere all of a sudden. The car is gone. Yeah. Um, nothing says guilty like hiding a freaking 4,000 pound piece of metal that you, nothing bad happened with it, <laughs> you know? Right. Well, and at that point, you know, they're, they're thinking that this, the car is the murder weapon. Right. You know, that is, that is the huge part of the scene. I think they looked in like ponds, um, barns everywhere, you know, any, anywhere that you could hide a damn car in the area they had looked and it was just not to be found at all. Um, Correct. And so, yeah, I mean, this is going on 37 years. Mm -hmm. This June will be 37 years. And um, to this point, uh, I know that, what was it? Uh, the, the case itself had been turned over to the prosecutor's office 
And they've kind of picked that up. And I know that they felt like they had some um, good steam under that. I'm not sure where this um, pandemic that we're dealing with right now, what kind of um, effect that that's going to have on solving this case. Uh, Brent Spaulding has been in and out of prison all of his life since the Eric Cross death. He's been in there for stalking, like aggravated stalking. He's been in there for drunk and disorderly. He's been in there for, I mean, you know, you name it. He is a lifer in the criminal world. <laughs> He's a winner, that's for sure. Yes. Well, so, yeah, you know, this case is so hard and it, it has been so difficult to, you know, get it get it really looked at and get it solved, but it seems so obvious to everybody. Um, you know, we talked about the car a little bit. Um, I know at the funeral it was um, Bill Cook's uh, girlfriend, which was Brent's sister and Amber Thomas. They were just, you know, so emotional at the funeral that, you know, Mary Lou thought it was kind of endearing. Like, well, you know, they really liked Eric. In hindsight, you know, <laughs> maybe not so endearing. And there was another instance um, that had happened. A couple of guys had come forward and said that they had been invited to this pool party, and they weren't from the school system, the same school system, um, but they were invited to this party, and they had shown up, and there was, like, there were no girls there. You know, you expect to go to a pool party when you're in high school, and you expect yeah. to see some girls. The sausage fest. Who wants that? Why? <laughs> what teenage so, boys want to stop? Nobody. <laughs> So they're like, okay, where are all the girls? And apparently, um, and they were told that all the girls were inside trying to console a very upset um, Amber Thomas. She was crying. She was very upset. Um, not, and nobody outside of that room knows what she was upset about and why she was so emotional emotional, and um, what she was crying over, except for those girls that were in there with her. Um, and none of those girls had come forward um, that I know of and said anything. Um, wow. So, yeah, it's just it's just really hard because uh, you you have all of these kind of kids that feel like they know, like everybody knows. The rumor mill went around, but you know, in these small towns, we always talk about the fact we come from a small town. When the rumor mill goes, you know it. Sometimes the kids know more than the adults do, apparently. Um, there was um, this instance they went to in the very beginning when the investigation started. Um, Ted and Mary Lou went to the high school, went to the school um, with some police officers, and they kind of had this, like, assembly, you know, how you separate the different grades into different sections. And um, they had said, you know, basically... You know, if anybody here knows anything, you know, please come forward, please talk. And I think Ted and Mary Lou obviously being in front of the kids, maybe that was a, a tactic on their part to, you know, kind of pull at the heartstrings maybe of some of these kids. Um, and what it was said that, that, like, everybody had, like, moved away from Amber Thomas and um, what would be Brent's sister. I believe her name was May Brett. Um, and like, basically they all just like everybody moves. And, and to me, that's kind of a little bit of a showing of like, we know who it is. Look, they're right there all along, you know? Right. Right. Um, so, so this is, 
it just seems so obvious to everybody. Well, I think the entire town believes that Brent Spaulding was the ringleader of this. He was driving the car. Amber Thomas has very clear firsthand knowledge of what went on that night. She was either in the car or at least present or present and knowledgeable of the circumstances. These five suspects are believed to have been involved. And at this point, I don't give a shit, you know, what kind of participation level that they had. They are all murderers. You were murderers the minute that you drove off in that car and didn't report it or you helped to cover this crime up. Right. You know, right. I know that um, the undersheriff, uh, Mateus, had said that there have been questions over the statute of limitations and if it's passed for those who may have not been directly involved. Um, and the answer to that is no. This is part of a cover up that occurred. And they're thinking, well, let's just cover this up and let the thing, let the statute of limitations run and then we'll all get off scot free. But there is no statute of limitations on murder, so any charge that you will see will have a murder as a central point. Um, conspiracy to commit murder is every bit as guilty as committing it yourself. So the right. sheriff's department says that the bulk of the case has been turned over to the prosecutor's office at this point. Um, right. And they do. They are going to solve it. They will figure it out. They, you know, Brent's been like we said. He's been in and out of prison all of his life. Anyway, he's a, clearly a loser. You know. Um, I think it was true crime that went to Amber Thomas's house and like knocked true on the door. Daily. True yeah. crime daily. And they wanted to do an interview with her and they're like, you know, knock, knock, knock on the door. And then she, she comes to the door, you know, whatever. And they're like, Hey, you know, Amber, yep, this is Amber. Um, can we talk to you? We'd like to talk to you about the Eric Sterling cross case. And she's like, Oh no, no, that's okay. That's okay. And then she shuts the door in their faces. And it's like, you know what, bitch, nothing says guilty. Like, Oh no, sorry. I can't talk to you about this, you know, whatever, they're all going to go down. They're going to go down, you know. Right. And well, Which I, may be even worse now because I'm sure Pretty Little Amber probably has, you know, a family that's going to be really sucky when she ends up, you know, having to go to prison at this point in her life. Right. Um, so, well, and think about this is what we haven't really talked about is the fact that there is still Jackie, um, you know, Ted had passed away, um, and he fought until the very end to solve this, uh, you know, at least get this solved. And, and Ted is the father. Away. Right. Yes. And or Ted, yes. And he's passed. And Mary Lou and Jackie continue to fight. Um, and it, it's very hard to, um, for them. So, um, Speaking of that, um, Jackie had been fighting and fighting for, you know, a long time. Um, and it was kind of hard to get anything done. And, you know, this can take a toll as well on her. Um, so it was about 10 years ago and, um, Jackie had been flipping through Facebook, you know, as we all do, you just kind of randomly flip through Facebook. And I believe she came across, um, uh, she came to learn that Eric's suspected killer killers had Facebook pages and, um, you know, she was a little disgusted. It didn't seem fair. You know, it didn't seem fair. They got to live a life. Um, so these people had the chance to live their, their lives. Um, although not well, some of them. I'm sure Um, it can't be fun. Um, I don't care what kind of mentality that you have. It cannot be fun to have to, hide something like that, especially when the entire town 
thinks that you've had something to do with it, you know, or, or really they know they just, they have, they didn't have enough evidence to convict. Um, but you know, they, sounds like they kind of sat on their hands for a little while too long too. I mean, this is, the, this is long overdue punishments. Yeah. Well, this gave Jackie an idea. She was like, you know what? Um, I would like to give Eric a Facebook page. So like, you know, like a tribute page, you, we've, we've all seen them. Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of a place for friends and family and stuff to share stories, pictures, and, you know, nice thoughts of Eric or, you know, whatever. Um, and then luck would have it at that point, Melissa, um, we'll call her Missy, I think is what she really goes by. Hatfield has, she'd been kind of flipping around Facebook at the same time. Um, and she'd seen somebody else's tribute page and, she was actually thinking of Eric. She was like, oh, gosh, I, I wonder, you know, if, he's, if he has one. I remember him from school. And then, ta-da, she found one. Um, it was almost like a, um, what did somebody say in a different podcast, like a, like a serendipitous moment. It was just, like, kind of meant to happen. Um, so she found one, but the only problem was she realized that the case had never been solved. Um, so Missy kind of contacted Jackie and extended her condolences and apologies. Just as she felt, um, a little horrified. Um, she'd gone to school with the cross kids. Uh, I think she ran track with Jackie actually. Um, everyone in school, you know, she knew everybody in school knew who killed Eric. She knew it. Um, and it was just a horrifying surprise for Missy to realize it hadn't been solved. Um, and I, had a really nice long talk with um, Misty uh, last week on the phone, I believe. Um, so she has been kind of, you know, at this moment, this is when she is just like, you know, I know what I need to do. Um, she had some time in her life at that point where she could spend some time doing something um, on a volunteer basis rather than, you know, working a job. Um so this Jackie had been fighting for, you know, this justice for so long. And I think it came to this point where she had to kind of step back a little bit. And I actually think Mary Lou encouraged it slightly. Like, she's like, you know, I lost one son. You know, I don't want to lose you in this, too. You need to, you know, take care of your family. And, you know, so I think Jackie took the time to say, you know, I, I think I do need focus on my family and her children, her husband. You know, they, they needed her, too. Right. Um so Missy volunteered at this point um, to help with this fight, um, and that's when an army was born, and they call it Eric's Army. Uh, Jackie has been able to kind of focus on her family while this uh, army fought for Eric, um, and it seems that Missy is kind of kind of leading this group, this army. Um, it's a peaceful push for justice. Uh, they follow the laws, um, but they are very focused on the task at hand, and that is to get attention, um, to make sure that Erickson stays, you know, on the top of the pile here. Um, they're putting signs up in strategic places. It was kind of funny. Um, she's what I think I was talking to you, and I was like, I think I like her because what did I call her? Um, relentless. Yeah. I was like, I feel like they might be like a little bit relentless. I kind of like it. Like they're, they're following the law, but they, they place these, she said that they place them there on purpose in places that they know that Amber has 
to drive by to go to work, you know, or to, you know, that Bill gets up every morning and like goes and gets his coffee from this one gas station or one store or whatever. So they make sure to put these uh, posters, uh, you know, Justice for Eric Cross posters on the exactly where they're going to see them, you know, very strategic, <laughs> which very nice. I find I find, you know, I find that to be really smart. I was, I was like, that's a nice thing. Well, I know that um, they also go and they sit like, um, Missy, you, you, you talked to her for a long time, but I know yeah. that they, her and Eric's army go to like, you know, Brent Spaulding, we've already talked about how many times, um, in and out, in and out of prison all the time, in and out of the court system, blah, 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 blah. And I know that they have gone and sat there in the courthouse Every trial he's ever had, even unrelated charges, they go and they sit there just to put the heat on him a little bit. And I, I wanted. Did they? Did she say it was? It took the thirty sixth visit because I believe he is actually in jail right now. Um, but it took. Um, I believe she told me in this conversation the thirty sixth time in court to actually get him put away now this is not for eric's right. you know murder but he is actually doing some time um for something That's unrelated something. Yep. eric's murder but the the funny thing was she told me that it took the 36 time 36th time do you know what year it was on the 36th year anniversary not on the actual day but it was the year 36 years later after eric oh, awesome. so she thought it was like kind of this you know kind of neat that, okay, 36 years we got here. <laughs> right. Um, well, so I know that Amber um, had also said that she, um, she has said that she was at the murder and she knows what happened and who was involved, but she does not want to implicate herself. So. Well, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. It's fine. Oh, I still, I've got, um, so, um, but anyway, they had, they got marches, um, and, they have stood in front of the Kalamazoo courthouse. Um, they've stood at the Capitol just trying to get lawmakers' attention. Um, they have – this is what get, this one gets me kind of – I was just like, aw. But what they started to do was um, a walk for Eric, and what they've done was they go to where the party was uh-huh. at that lake house, and they start there, and they basically walk – to um the cross's old home and so they're what they're trying to do is um you know they're kind of walking eric home on the anniversary of his passing because eric wasn't able to make it home safely that night but he will never walk alone again they don't want him to ever walk alone and they're hoping to do this walk every year until you know they find justice justice. um they're pushing um, for justice, and I truly think they're going to get it. Um, I believe they're coming close. Um, I think, you know, they're as close as they've ever been. I unfortunately think that this pandemic is, uh, is Probably slowing slowed things down, down a little, little bit. bit. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I have a feeling that this is going to be – this is something we're going to see, um, and we're going to see it soon. We were talking about – now, before we started recording, that um, Amber Thomas has actually offered a um, a plea deal, uh huh, um, or an immunity deal, anyway, whatever. <laughs> so, and 
I don't know if everybody is kind of aware of like what what that entails for like an immunity deal, but basically what they're asking her to do is to say all you have to do is say what had happened that evening. You are the witness. You have to basically, you know, <laughs> say what had happened that evening and then you are cleared. You're free. That's all you have to do is talk and just say what had actually happened. Um, it's just an arrangement if you want the, the book, you know, uh, thing. It's an arrangement between prosecutor and defendant whereby the defendant pleads guilty to a lesser charge in exchange for a more lenient sentence or an agreement to drop other charges as long as she testifies against the others. Um, and she pled the fifth. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> I'm like so annoyed by that. I'm like, yeah, whatever, Amber. Uh, oh, I am really annoyed by that. And, you know, because in my opinion, pleading the fifth is kind of an admittance of guilt. Yeah, um, absolutely. Um, you know, so, and well, I guess you can just hope that nothing like that ever happens to any of her children or someone that she loves, you know? Right. Because, I mean, well, to live that long without having any you know, without having any justice, because let's face it, they all know who did it and, and what happened for the most part, you know? Right. Um, well, at this point, like Eric's army is kind of like, well, you know, okay. So if Amber is not going to plead the fifth, um, or if she's not going to go ahead and testify and this is what she's going to do is plead the fifth and she's not willing to talk. Um, and, so I, I think they kind of went to, you know, prosecutors or, or you know, uh, everybody, whoever, and said, well, what can we do? Like, where do we go from here? Like, can we, can that be offered to somebody else? And I believe what is happening and what we're kind of in the midst of right, right this second is um, investigators kind of waiting for like one more piece of evidence. And they're waiting to see if maybe Bill or Tim will take that deal. If Bill or Tim will take that deal um, and and testify, then this can all be solved. Um, and they're actually thinking that it's quite possible that Tim might be the one to take that deal because maybe, you know, he, he was not as involved, I don't think, as anybody else. Right. I think, like, Bill, Amber, Brent, you know. And, well, you have um, to wonder, like, Brent. what somebody has over someone. It's been 37 years. You're a grown-ass <laughs> adult. You know, exactly. Brent Spalding is a washed up fucking alcoholic and Amber, yeah. you know, who gives a shit about her? But I'm just saying, <laughs> you know, like, honestly, what are you so afraid of? Come forward and, and, and if you know something, say something. It's been 37 years. They've got to have kids or at least be understand what it feels like to have a child that this happened to at this point in their life. Well, and that is the thing. These people have children, you know, like Amber, um, uh, Bill, if you want to be able to see your children and not go down with the sinking ship, you might want to take the deal. Right. Otherwise, you're going down with this sinking ship that is goes by the name of Brent Spaulding. Right. Right. Yeah. So well, did you have um, information, like numbers that you had said? Yes, I do have some numbers. Um there are some kind of pertinent places that you can go. Um, there is uh, Justice for Eric, or Eric Sterling Cross on Facebook. Um, they also have an Instagram page. Um, they have a Twitter, and they're on it. They, 
I'm not sure if Missy is the one that runs it all the time, but um, they definitely answer. You can message them if you have anything you want to say. Um, and there is a justiceforeric.com. That's a website you can go to. It has Eric's story on there. There's also a spot where you can leave, you know, tips. Um, and if you have any tips, um, so if you have any information, I'm going to read this right from their website, actually. If you have any information regarding this case, please contact Detective Van Zyl, 269-383-8723, and he is of the Kalamazoo County Sheriff Department. Or you can call Silent Observer if you wish to remain anonymous. That is 269 269- Three four three two one zero zero. Um, even the smallest details could help bring justice for Eric and his family. They still miss him deeply. Um, if you would like to post signs or anything, if you would like um, to participate in Eric's army, please feel free to go to Justice for Eric Sterling Cross on Facebook. Um, get a hold of them. They are willing to ship signs to you just to get that out there. Um, yeah, um, they're they're willing if you'd like to help them uh, go to any sort of. I don't want to say protest; it's a peaceful protest. A protest makes it sound not so peaceful. Right. But um, <clears throat> anything you want to do to help, they are willing to take the help. Uh, they appreciate it, and I believe Eric um, deserves it. He absolutely deserves that. Absolutely. And the people that did that to him, they deserve their you know day too. Um, they do. January twenty fourth of twenty twenty. I just want to close with this nice little um, quote. By Mateus, he said, I made a promise to a guy who would have turned 82 years old yesterday that I wasn't going to leave this case until it was resolved and I'm keeping my word. So I hope, I hope that they all get what they deserve and I hope that his family finds peace and justice is served. Absolutely. And we will be back next week for a surprise. Um, Heather doesn't know what we're doing next week, so I get to surprise her. It's a surprise. I love surprises. You know that. She's got a birthday coming up. She's an April 19th girl. So, yeah, I'm going to be telling her a story. And it probably won't be as traumatizing as um, the last story that I surprised her with. No, everybody is still mad at you for that. (laughs) I know. I did not make any friends that night. (laughs) That was not great. That was just like, it was cringeworthy. That's for sure. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's a true story. I mean, it's just the fact that sometimes life is cringy. <laughs> yeah, it's cringy, all right. Some people just don't deserve to, to breathe air. So um, with that, we will be back next week, and we hope that you guys, in between now and then, stay safe and healthy, and all of your family members and your loved ones, stay safe and healthy. Stay healthy, stay safe, and stay home. Stay home. Stay the fuck home. Stay home. <laughs> <laughs> all right, peace out. Bye. You've been listening to Aaron and Heather on That Would Go Good With Vodka. If you like what you heard today and would like to hear more from us, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. We would love to hear from you. 
We are constantly working to keep our social media updated, where we post links and pictures of the episodes we've covered along with anything else we think is relevant. Uh, we also have a website at www.thatwouldgogoodwithvodka.com, or you can email us at www.thatwouldgogoodwithvodka at gmail.com. Drop us a comment or some constructive criticism. Let us know you're out there. We look forward to meeting you. Again, thanks for listening. Yeah, we'll catch you on the flip side. Bye. Peace. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.